Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Draftville, the USA Today Sports Network's weekly podcast previewing the 2020 NFL Draft, which takes place coming up in April. I'm your host, Tommy Dees, from the Tennessean in Nashville. And on this week's show, we're talking to Mike Middlehurst-Schwartz, NFL editor at USA Today, and Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press. We'll be talking about some sleepers in this year's draft, breaking down the quarterback position, and exploring whether the Lions might trade that coveted third pick. First up is Mike Middlehurst-Schwartz, NFL editor at USA Today, who will be heading up USA Today's draft coverage. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today? Joining us from Los Angeles, California. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. And let's just jump right into this draft. And, and the first thing is, when, when you look at the draft class, the 2020 entering the draft class, what jumps out at you as far as the strongest and, and weakest positions? What do you see there? Yeah, I think all the talk is about the wide receivers in this class and not just how strong it is at the top, but how deep it is. Uh, you're going to see some really starting caliber players get pushed down into the second day and even beyond that uh, just because there's so many quality options uh, high up. And so uh, if you're a team that's looking for a receiver in this draft uh, or even two, and you're in a really strong position, uh, I think that you're – going to see plenty of them taken in the first round, but you'll also see uh, several uh, really strong contributors uh, in that uh, you know, sort of second to fourth round uh, range. Similarly, I think cornerback is a really strong spot. Um, you have a number of really good prospects uh, at the top of the draft, um, led by Ohio State's Jeff Okuda, but you uh, look at sort of the back part of the first round, and there are a number of teams that uh, are in the market for a cornerback, and uh, I think sort of that top 50 range, there are a number of uh, really impressive cornerbacks. Uh, On the other hand, it's a pretty rough year to be looking for a tight end. I don't think there's any player who's really worth a selection in the top two rounds. You might see someone taken in that uh, you know, sort of late second kind of area just because of need, but uh, I, I, there's no one who really stands out to me as someone you would feel confident, uh, you know, taking in that range. Uh, so if you're a team like the Patriots, who is, you know, overdue for a contributor to take over for the void that uh, Rob Gronkowski uh, created with his retirement, uh, you know, that's a rough spot to be in. I think that's a rough spot to be in any year if you're hoping to to draft a Gronk, but I, I do agree that this is a, a tight end poor draft. What what do you see on the trenches on each side, uh, the the offensive and defensive lines? How strong a draft is it in those positions? I think for the offensive line, it, it's a little top-heavy. I think you have a number of really intriguing offensive linemen, uh, specifically offensive tackles, uh, in you know the first half of the first round. Um there are four guys in particular, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, and Makai Becton from Louisville. I think you look at those guys, you know, all of them are top 10 caliber players and, you know, could uh, 
you could see, you know, three, maybe even four of those guys go in that range. Uh, and it's, you know, somewhat a matter of preference in terms of uh, how they fit in. But all of them, you know, are really promising and, you know, seem like high-level starters uh, who can also, uh, you know, step in pretty early and, uh, you know, contribute. Uh, I think for the defensive line, it's also, you know, a little top-heavy. If Chase Young from Ohio State is obviously the, uh, you know, premier defensive player in this draft, um, and you have uh, on the interior Derek Brown from Auburn and Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, uh, both of those guys look like top-ten selections, um, can really get after the passer, but also... Um, you know, just disrupt uh, in the backfield. But then there's a little bit of a drop-off after that of, you know, if you're a team like the Cowboys who might be looking for someone for uh, an edge rusher to replace Robert Quinn, uh, you know, where are you turning? Are you going to try to force something at defensive end or maybe wait until day two and, you know, take one of the top cornerbacks to replace Byron Jones? So uh, I think... You know, if, if you're a, a team in the top 10 that's looking for uh, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, you're in really good shape. If you're on the back half of the first round, then you're maybe in a little bit more trouble. Yeah, as, as we look at this draft, uh, one of the main topics I wanted to talk to you about is sleepers. And, and wide receiver would seem to be a good place to start there. Who are, first of all, discuss who, who the first round surefire guys are, but but in, in a little more depth, give us some names of guys who might go on the third day who might be real bargains in this draft at that position. Yeah, I think you have a, you know, a pretty clear sort of top three for wide receivers in Oklahoma City Lamb uh, and then the two Alabama wide receivers, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Uh, it's, again, kind of subjective of uh, you know, who the best player among those three is, I think that um, you could make a pretty strong case for any of them, and it wouldn't surprise me to see any of them, any order for which those three players are taken. Uh, I think you start looking at sort of that, uh, you know, 11 through 15 range, and that's where maybe all three are taken. Um, Maybe one of them slips a little bit. Uh, Then you have a few other first-round guys of LSU's Justin Jefferson, uh, maybe Baylor's Denzel Mims, uh, Colorado's Ubisca Chenault is uh, also in the mix. Uh, but, you know, there's really going to be a strong sense, uh, a strong run on day two for a number of these guys, like USC's, uh, uh, like you have Pittman from USC and a number of, number of other uh, guys who are really sort of the second-day options. Uh, once you get further down, I think, uh, you know, there's a number of uh, interesting developmental guys. Um, Boise State's John Hightower is someone who's really interesting, kind of in the Robbie Anderson mold of someone who's really fast and can take the top off of uh, defenses just as that deep threat that uh, teams are looking for. Uh and then you have someone like Ohio State's K.J. Hill, who's kind of the opposite of, you know, someone who's that slot receiver that teams are looking for, someone who's, you know, maybe not the most dominant physical uh, target, but he's someone who really works the underneath uh, area well and is really sure-handed and just 
knows how to get open. And so uh, if you're looking for someone just as a reliable option on day three and you're a team like, say, the Buccaneers, where you know, you're looking for that Tom Brady target, uh, the guy who gets open uh, and you know, can allow Brady to sort of use his quick trigger, uh, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense for them and a number of other teams on day three. And Kentucky has a very intriguing prospect at uh, wideout who didn't play a lot of wideout his last year in college. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, Lynn Bowden is an interesting guy. I mean, the Randall Cobb comparisons are just, you know, natural given the Kentucky tie. Uh, but, you know, he's someone who is, you know, just uh, an emerging, uh, you know, uh, emerging threat as uh, emerging prospect at receiver just given – uh, the fact that you look at you know NFL offenses now, and if you get him in the hands of someone like Sean Payton or uh, Andy Reid, you know maybe he's not someone who you use in a traditional receiver role where you're just having him run uh, you know a, a ton of downfield routes, but maybe you use him in that sort of Debo Sam, Samuel role where you you know sort of scheme touches for him and just get the ball in his hands, and he can make plays. So uh, he's someone who uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands because I think his role at the next level is going to be really uh, a big part of how productive he is. Right, and I guess he also has added value as a returner. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, who are some guys that, that you'll be watching that, that you would consider sleepers at other positions? Uh People who, who either through the combine, and I guess we don't have quite as much um, tape, we don't have quite as much uh, uh, metrics that we could use because pro day is being canceled and, and that kind of thing. But we have the senior bowl, we have the combine, and of course you you know there's tons of, of film on guys from their seasons. But who are, who are people at different positions that you think might fall a little farther in this draft but could end up being real bargains? Yeah, I, I think there are a, a few intriguing options. We talked earlier about receivers, and this guy's not exactly a, a receiver. He's more sort of the running back, wide receiver hybrid, but Antonio Gibson from Memphis is a particularly intriguing prospect to me. Uh, you look at his usage at Memphis, he only had 77 touches uh, from scrimmage, but he had 14 touchdowns, and he just... And he's consistently making big plays. Uh, as we discussed with Lynn Bowden, you know, he's not someone who you maybe put in a traditional role of just a running back or just a wide receiver and, you know, give him the sort of traditional touches. But if you land, if he lands in a scheme where he's a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more freedom to be used creatively, uh, maybe in that sort of David Johnson kind of role that, uh, uh, you know, Bruce Arians uh, worked with. Uh, the Maybe in the sort of David Johnson role that um, Bruce Arians created for the former Cardinals running back, um, and you know, which he found a lot of success in, in Arizona. Um, I think that's the kind of role that uh, he would really thrive in in the NFL. Yeah, and let, let me interrupt you because I actually got to see him play live because he is in Memphis and I'm in Nashville. And uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of what, not, not that they, uh, Memphis featured him more than the guy I'm about to mention, but the way the Patriots used Corderell Patterson uh, for a time. 
where he he, yeah. could, he could line up almost anywhere, and it's a mismatch. They could find a mismatch, and that could be running between the tackles even. Right. Yeah, and and I think you saw at the combine just exactly how much he could do. He had a great forty time, and you know he's has a great size for his position. And you mentioned Patterson, you know, similar thing in terms of the the build and explosiveness. So uh, I, I think with Patterson, he's a guy whose career was kind of defined by uh, you know an, an inability to generate those kind of touches of, you know, he obviously contributed heavily in the return game, um, but uh, couldn't quite find the role uh, to become a, you know, consistent breakout player. But, uh, you know, in a league that's kind of defined by those big plays, I think Antonio Gibson is someone who can generate a lot of those, uh, especially if he lands with the right staff. Right, but go on with some other guys. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, having seen him play, I think he's very intriguing, and he is he is an explosive oh, yeah. player. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a guy on defense who I think is really interesting is Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech. You'll hear the uh, the Honey Badger comparisons. Just similar size, you know, five nine, pretty slight build. Uh, but then you just watch his his film, and you know, it's the same sort of thing that you saw from. Matthew in college of, uh, you know, he's just flying around making plays. He has great anticipation and closing speed, and he just really plays super aggressive. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, the traditional corner in the fact that he's uh, going to be used in the slot, and you're going to have to find ways to harness his playmaking ability, but you need those uh, nickel corners these days. and just, you know, based on the way he plays, just so aggressive and uh, having the ability to make plays on the ball. You know, he's the kind of player that I think defensive coordinators are really going to value. Um, uh, you know, his, his injury and his uh, size might push him down the draft board a little bit, but as a, a day three guy, I think he's someone you can look at who has, you know, high-end starting potential. All right, well, let's talk quarterbacks a little bit. And, and there is an intriguing guy um, in that the Tua uh, Tungvaloa at Alabama who threw to those first-round ex- projected receivers. Uh, you know, had the injury and, and then doesn't really get a pro day to, sh- to show what he can do. Um, how, how does that affect his status, and where does he fit in the quarterback mix? Yeah, I think it, it, it doesn't quite affect him as much as it would affect some of the players were a little bit more anonymous at this point. You know, he's, this has been a long process for him of, you know, his recovery. And, uh, you know, he didn't get to have his, his pro day, obviously. But, uh, I mean, there's not, it's not really too much for him to show at this point, given the fact that he was a, you know, proven prospect. I'm sure that he'd like to, you know, show that there's no ill effects of his hip injury. But, uh, I mean, really everything with that is just about the long-term medical outlook. So, uh, you know, his team is obviously, you know, uh, getting that information to NFL teams. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I think that it, you know, could vary from team to team of how, you know, that stuff is processed. But all of the information that has come out has been pretty positive uh, in terms of his outlook. So, uh, I think that, you know, the 
the tank for Tua talk never really <laughs> materialized. And, you know, Joe Burrow does seem to have a pretty solid hold on that top spot. But then you look at, uh, you know, number five uh, to the Dolphins and six to the Chargers. And, uh, you know, barring some kind of incredible uh, twist, uh, it's, it's hard to see him falling too hard. I think the question there is just, you know, is is one of those teams going to trade up to number three to try to get him, uh, or do they let the board fall to them and, uh, you know, uh, take him or Oregon's Justin Herbert? Is there anybody that you think is a sleeper at quarterback that, the, you know, we've, we've seen the occasion where the one or two teams fall in love with somebody and and draft higher than projected. The New York Giants did it, and and I think are pretty satisfied with what they got. Is is there a guy like that out there this year? Yeah, I don't think that there's sort of that first round mystery prospect. Of a lot of times, you'll hear buzz of you know someone is rising and going to end up sneaking into the late first round. Um, you know, we, we sort of heard that ahead of Christian Hackenberg. Uh, you know, he obviously ended up in the uh, second round, uh, heard that with Davis Webb and a number of other guys. I, I don't think there's anyone who quite fits that bill. I think that uh, Washington's Jacob Eason would be someone who, you know, uh, maybe is, you know, the closest just in terms of a second round player. But I think that he has such problems with uh, processing and just getting the ball out quickly. It's almost like he is arriving in the NFL about two decades too late because he's really that tall, strong-armed pocket passer. But I, I just don't know if he can make decisions quickly enough in the NFL, and I think it shows. Uh, so I think teams are going to be a little bit reticent to you know, take a first-round uh, pick uh, and use it on him. Uh, obviously, I think the wild card is... Jordan Love uh, from Utah State of just kind of hard to find a landing spot for him uh, in the first round just because you're dealing with this unprecedented quarterback carousel of you know veterans moving around and there really aren't too many teams right now that are in the market for a quarterback uh, you know sort of beyond that top ten range so where does he land is it with the Jaguars, you know, as potential competition to Gardner Minshew, uh, you know, they have two first-round picks, but it's they have so many defensive needs that it's hard to, um, you know, figure out uh, how he would, uh, you know, fit in fit in there. Uh, you know, the Saints uh, are an option just because he's been compared to Patrick Mahomes in terms of the athleticism and ability to make throws off platform, but, uh, you know, they have Drew Brees back. Taysom Hill is someone who seems to figure pretty heavily into their long-term plans. Uh, and they're a team that, you know, also, uh, is, you know, trying to, uh, capitalize on their Super Bowl window. So, uh, I, I think he's kind of the big question mark in terms of the, the quarterbacks for where he fits into that, first round range it wouldn't stun me if he uh slid into the second but you know you could also see him go a lot higher than anticipated okay well let's shift to the big picture um as we uh explore our final uh subject 
which teams, when you look at the number of draft picks and where they're positioned, and not just the first round, but but which teams do you look think are, are poised to either win or lose this draft based on that, where they pick, how many picks they have, and, and what the totality of their, their draft looks like? Yeah, I think the obvious standout for this is the Dolphins. They have by far the most draft capital of any team. Uh, the first uh, round picks with three of them uh, and just so many beyond that. And this is a big draft for them. Uh, they came out and were very aggressive in free agency. Um, and, you know, it's it's pretty clear that investment at quarterback needs to be made, so they're going to have a big decision there. Um and they really just have the freedom to, you know, maneuver around the draft board as they see fit. So uh, I think there's a lot at stake for them. Um, but uh, they also, you know, with how aggressive they were in free agency, uh, freed things up for themselves a little bit so they don't have to draft solely based on need. And uh, they're a team that seems to be taking a long-term view with their rebuild, uh, which is something that's pretty promising. You look at a team like the 49ers, uh, you know, with what they did with uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch of just not rushing into, uh, you know, trying to make the team competitive immediately and making this a a multi-year project. Uh, Not to say that the Dolphins are on a similar track, but, uh, you know, having that sort of flexibility to say, okay, we're going to invest along the lines. We're going to, uh, you know, make this, if, if, if we need to be competitive in a few years rather than immediately next year, then, you know, that's what's best for the franchise. I think that uh, is a good uh, way of building, uh, you know, from the ground up. So, I think the Dolphins are in a particularly strong spot. Um, I think the Vikings are in a uh, pretty interesting spot. I think they could come out fairly well just because you look at a couple of their top needs uh, with those two first-round picks they have after the Stephon Diggs trade. Uh, you know, they're big, they have several needs, and this is a team that is in win-now mode with uh, Kirk Cousins. So uh, we need to address the vacancy at wide receiver after Diggs' departure, um, and they need a cornerback since their uh, secondary is basically being completely rebuilt. So uh, they're in need in that position, but you know, based on where they are and this draft class, they could have some intriguing options. Uh, so I think uh, they're you know one of the teams that could make out pretty well, but uh, they have a lot riding on it. Well, thanks for joining us, Mike. Uh, we appreciate having you on Draftville to discuss the 2020 NFL Draft, and uh, hope you'll keep listening to our podcast. Absolutely. Thanks. We have Dave Perquette of the Detroit Free Press here to talk about the Detroit Lions. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. How are you? All right. So the Lions are sitting there at number three, which is a, an interesting place to be because it's a, a possible trade-up position for somebody who may want to a Tungvaloa, or it's a possible trade-down position, I guess, for the Lions, or what might they do? 
Yeah, I, I think the best-case scenario for them is that one of those teams, you know, the Miami Dolphins at five, I guess, or the Chargers at six most likely, um, want to trade up and grab Tua, grab one of those quarterbacks, because, look, the Lions, um, when it comes to Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, they're in win-now mode. You know, they, they need to get um, not only... I think not only a defensive player that can help them in the first round, but they need to maximize the value of that pick and maybe get two guys that can help them. And the best way to do that is by trading down, getting another pick in the top 40. You know, they can still get one of their top defensive targets there. I wouldn't totally rule out staying at three and maybe even taking Tua, uh, but I think the best bet for them would be going down to five, still getting a top defensive player and adding some more draft capital. Well, is, is Tua intriguing it for them because he, he's what somebody – some people consider a redshirt guy, so to speak, a, a guy that you might want to not play his first year or not play a lot um, with him recovering from injury. Do you think that could figure into it as a they're really thinking two years down the road? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think there's a lot at play with that pick. You know, number one to me is, um, you know, that just the, the model that you win with in the NFL right now, and that's having a young quarterback and being able to spend so much of your your salary cap on other positions. And, you know, we, we see New England doing it for better or worse, right? Not not paying Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, I could certainly see the Lions, not this year, I mean, Matthew Stafford is the quarterback for 2020, but if you draft to, uh, if you believe in the medicals, if you think yourself, if you believe in the scouting reports, then all of a sudden, 2021, you're rolling with a, a cheap, you know, cost control quarterback and you have so much more money to spend, plus you have extra draft capital from, you know, eventually quoting Matthew Stafford, you know, down the road. So I think there would be some validity to that. I mean, look, Stafford's 11 years into his career. He's never won a playoff game. That's certainly not, you know, entirely his fault, but, you know, he's part of it. And, uh, you know, he uh, the, the first year under these guys, he didn't have a, a great year, 2018. He did last year with, with Darrell Bevel calling the plays. So um, it, do I think it happens? Ultimately, I don't. I don't think Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia... Um, you know, are in a position where they can do that and sort of build for the future. But certainly, if they did draft Tua, it would be uh, with the thought that he would redshirt in 2020 and then take over from Matthew Stafford in 2021. And and when you, or, or maybe when, I was going to say when you look at the Lions, but maybe when the Lions look at themselves and, and inventory where they're at and, 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 and as it relates to this draft, to me they look like a, a team that was really competitive last year. But every week you kind of expected them to finally get over the hump, and it was one step forward, two steps back. Do, what what are they missing, and, and do you think they think they're that close, or, or how do you think they fit? Yeah, I, I do think they're closer than maybe the general public thinks they are. I mean, they don't, you know, I don't think they have any illusions that think they're the Chiefs or, you know, some Super Bowl contender, but, you know, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle, you get hot, you get the right people. You know, they, they certainly think they can be a playoff contender. You know, Matt Patricia's always, you know, he's always sort of thought that, you know, you have, you know, 30 to 40 guys that feel NFL caliber, you know, guys, and that's the team that you need to be a playoff contender. And the more of those you have, you know, the closer you are to, to uh, you know, being a Super Bowl contender. And I think what we've seen them do in free agency this year is, is really improve the depth of the team. What they lack now is uh, true defensive playmakers. I mean, they don't have a big sack guy. You know, Trey Flowers was the best defensive player, but he's a seven sack, you know, eight, nine sack guy. Um, you know, in the secondary, they trade away Darius Slater, their best playmaker at, at cornerback, and they bring in Desmond Trufant, who, fine player, you know, but sort of the same situation. He's 
about to be 30 years old, two years left on a deal, you know, hasn't been historically a, a big playmaker. So you need uh, a young cornerback. You need a young pass rusher. I think the Lions really need some blue-chip talent on that defense at whatever the position is. When I look at the Lions and, and how their, their picks play out, it's basically one pick per round through, through round six. But they pick third, 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 third. And, and they've got, you know, they've got four of the top 109 picks. They're, they pick 109th in the fourth round. And when I look at that, and, and even, you know, five of the top 150, when I look at that, do you, do you see three of those being defensive players, four even? Well, and don't forget they got an extra third round pick now from uh, the various oh, slate trade too. Right. So you know they've they've got four of the top. I think it's eighty five. You know somewhere in that neighborhood. And look at you know again ultimately what what I you know if I was a betting man and, and what I think would happen is they trade down to five, they get another let's say top forty pick, and, and that way you're looking at you know four of the top forty, six of the top eighty five, and, and maybe you can hit that. You know they they think they need a running back or some running back help too. You know Karrion Johnson's been hurt. They know they need some some long-term help at receiver because Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, those guys are all on the last year of the contract. They're going to sign Kenny Galladay to an extension, but that's certainly a position where, you know, you look down the road, you need some help. You know, it doesn't need to be a guy that comes in and plays a big role this year, but I could see them using in a deep wide receiver draft and a pretty good running back draft. I could see them using one of those uh, you know, top 85 picks uh, on, on one of those positions, and they still have a, a starting spot up for grabs at the, the right guard spot. So I don't know that they're, they're pigeonholed into going all defense all the time, but I do think, you know, at number three, number five, six, wherever they end up picking in the first round, the strength of the, the draft, you, you know, Jeff Okuda, Isaiah Simmons, Derek Brown, that matches up with what they need defensively. They need a defensive playmaker. So I think they can get that guy early. Maybe they come back with. You know, early round two, it, maybe they have two picks, but maybe they use one of those on another defensive playmaker, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a defense that that uh, can hold its own can hold its own with most of the teams in the NFL. Do you, do you think the defensive need immediately is is the the up front and in the back? Um, you know, a corner and a and a pass rusher, or can, is there there need for linebacker or or any players that you might see that they could look at somewhere in those first four rounds who could who could fill another need on defense? Yeah, no, I, I think it's kind of, you know, either or that uh, that interior defensive lineman or that cornerback. I mean, to me, those were their, their two biggest needs coming into free agency, and they're still their two biggest needs, even though they addressed them. I mean, you know, the guys they got on the defensive line, Danny Shelton and Nick Williams, you know, solid players, rotational guys, but I don't know that anyone is building a game plan around, you know, stopping those guys. And, and same thing in the secondary. You know, you, you came in needing a number two cornerback. You had Darius Slay, Rashawn Melvin was a free agent. And then you trade Darius Slay and you bring Desmond Trufant. So you still need either that number one or two guy, depending on how you, you view Trufant. So I think up top, look, Isaiah Simmons is a really enticing prospect. You know, he can do a lot of everything. But uh, the way that I think the Lions want to build this team and the way that I think they're their biggest needs are, I think Jeff Okuda or Derek Brown fits what they want and who they want to be a little bit better. Right, and and you had mentioned earlier the possibility of a running back or receiver. Are there any names there that, that we should keep an eye on? I guess that would depend on where they might draft, but especially there's, there's going to be starting level receivers falling to the third round, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. And look, I, you know, I, I would say that they've always sort of tended towards big wide receivers, you know, I mean, Kenny Galladay was a third-round pick, obviously turned out to be a, a pretty good player. 
you know, Marvin Jones is not a small guy. I mean, they, they do have uh, Amendola playing the slot, but you look at the guy they drafted last year, Travis Fulham, six-round pick. You know, he's a roster bubble sort of guy. Um, you know, those are the, the types of receivers that they drafted. I, I don't know if there's, uh, you know, a name that they've fall, fallen in love with. I mean, uh, you know, one name, and maybe he's there in round two, Denzel Mims was a guy that they, you know, saw up close in the senior bowl that would certainly fit. Um, he, you know, sort of seemed to, to rise up some of these, these mock draft projections here of late. Um, certainly would be a guy that I think would be a, a fit for what they want to do and can do some different things. Um, same thing with the running back spot. You know, I, I think, look, um, you know, they, they're not writing Carrion Johnson off. You know, this is a guy that's, that's you know, played well when he's been on the field. He's just been hurt these first two years. So um, is it at the top of round two? I mean, could a guy like J.D., J.K. Dobbins fit them? Uh, you know, maybe it's a Jonathan Taylor if he falls. I mean, I think they have some options uh, if they want to draft those positions early on. Uh, and again, I think in a trade down where they move from three to five or six, I think that's really when you could see them, you know, take one of those positions and take somebody that they see as a true difference maker, maybe in 2021 for this offense. And, and Dave, as we wrap up this segment, um, what, what have you heard? And, and I know you talked to people there, but how, how are the Lions and maybe the whole league um, approaching this draft without the, the kind of metrics and a kind of upfront look you get at pro days? I mean, you got the, you got their tape, you've got their senior bowl if they were in the senior bowl or one of the all-star games, and you've got the combine for the guys who were there. But especially for the later rounds, um, when you're not yeah. getting that up-close up look, what are they doing to, to try to compensate for that, I guess? No, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, they're going to go through some of the – you know, I guess FaceTime chats, uh, like everyone else, uh, you know, with, with some of these draft prospects and, and do you, you, you know, call them on their phone and do you, you call them on their phone and tell them to turn <laughs> FaceTime on and then say, run 40 yards while I time it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, and here's so look, I, I went out to a pro day uh, two weeks ago, right after the, the, the coronavirus shut everything down, just to sort of watch what uh, was a local, local prospect here, J. Rue Campbell from Ferris State. Uh, quarterback wasn't a you know a, a combine guy. He, he has some some issues in his past, but you know he went out and made he had two videographers filming his workout, and he brought three receivers in with them from you know friends from college. One one guy that's in the NFL right now, and so uh, there, there's a lot of um, prospects like that who are filming these workouts and sending them to the all 32 teams and hoping those teams get a look at them. And, and I don't know how much the teams will value that, but you know I think it's. I guess it's better than nothing at this point. I mean, to, to me, the, the biggest question for, for some of these guys and for the teams really is the medicals that, the, you know, the, these guys that didn't go to the combine that you may want to take a sixth, sixth, seventh round flyer on, but you need some sort of updated medical. And that's really where you have to trust your doctors. You know, I know uh, in the case of Tua, you know, he's going to have a sort of a local combine recheck instead of going to Indy. And, and so, you know, maybe you, you have enough of those sort of situations where guys have their own, uh, or get checked out by their own doctor or some sort of independent doctor, um, where maybe that helps the team make a decision. But you know what? Uh, it might just be flying blind with some of that and just sort of trusting your scouts and, and hey, when they get in here, uh, you deal with whatever medical problems they have, if any arise, and hopefully none arise. I, I, I tend to think that teams will be, they'll take a few less risks in the draft this year because of the way things have played out. All right, Dave, thank you for joining us here on Draftville. We really appreciate it. You got a time. I'll talk again. Well, that does it for another episode of Draftville. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. You can drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. I'm Tommy Dees, and we'll be back again next week on Draft Bill.